Well, good morning, everybody. Uh, we have been reading together uh, about the Apostle Peter, which is uh, really a story about what the steadfast love of Jesus does to Peter. It's the story of what the steadfast love of Jesus works in him, what it calls him to, and what it makes of him for the life of the world. And uh, this is a hopeful thing, I think, for us. Because uh, seeing Jesus with Peter points us to what Jesus' love might do for us too. Uh, so we're going to read this morning about what was no doubt a, uh, a pretty great day in Peter's life. We're going to read from Matthew 16, verses 13 through 20. You can follow along uh, in the order of worship where it's printed if you'd like. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is God's word, and it's given for our good. Let me pray for us. Father, we ask uh, <clears throat> that as we talk about this word uh, that we've just read together, as we think about it together for a few minutes, that you would uh, meet with us. And as we just sang together, that you, you would help us interceding. <laughs> that you would uh, come to us through this word in the places where we find ourselves this morning, and that you would point us to the word that stands behind it, that you'd point us to Jesus and his goodness and his grace and his mercy and change us by it. And we ask this in his name. Amen. Well, uh, when our kids were little, uh, I was always amazed at Allison's ability to be able to teach our girls things uh, by doing those things with them. I mean, I think uh, every parent uh, probably tries to do this, but in our family at least, one of us did it much, much more easily and much more naturally than the other. It didn't matter really what it was, uh, doing homework, making cupcakes, painting something. Uh, Allison has the patience and the kindness to pull it off. If you know her, uh, this is 0% surprising to you. And it always had this really incredible effect, this pretty amazing effect. One of the girls uh, would often come up to me and say, for instance, I made these cupcakes. <laughs> Aren't these cupcakes great? Don't you love these cupcakes that I made? And of course, you know, of course it was true. Of course she made the cupcakes. But I also knew that behind that, there was this larger truth, this beautiful truth, hovering unseen. Allison 
of course, is the one who had found the recipe. Allison was the one who gathered the ingredients and the supplies. Allison preheated the oven, pre-softened the butter, and then it was Allison who invited her to join with her in making the cupcakes. The whole thing was all of Allison, if you'll let me put it like that. And whichever girl it was at the time had been kindly swept up into that and then made much of. Well, I think that the whole story that we just read together is just like that. I mean, as far as we know, this has got to be the best day of Simon Peter's life up to that point. He takes the initiative. He makes this incredible confession about Jesus. He's finally sorted out this thing that he's been holding in his mind, that he's been mulling over. And he speaks to Jesus about it, and Jesus meets, them, meets him with this response, this, this vocation for the life of the world that I am sure in a million years Peter never dreamed he would be met with. And all of that, all of that, of course, is true. But hovering uh, behind it unseen is this larger truth, this beautiful truth. Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. <laughs> this thing is all of grace. This thing is all God's working, and He has swept Peter up. All of who Peter is, all he brings to the table, God has swept Peter up into it and then made much of him. Peter is made much of by Jesus. And this is always what grace does. This is always what the steadfast love of God does for people like us. It makes much of us. <laughs> so this story begins uh, in the district of Caesarea Philippi. And that is honestly a very strange place for Jesus to be with his disciples. They had just been on the north shore of the Lake of Galilee. And so what that means is that now Jesus has taken them about 25 miles north. It's about a two-day's journey away from the usual places where they hang out. Caesarea Philippi was essentially a fully pagan city that rested right on the old ancient border of northern Israel. It was a, a transitional place. It was a liminal place between God's people and the rest of the world. Caesarea Philippi used to be called Panius in honor of the god Pan. In fact, there was still a shrine in Caesarea Philippi that was used. Uh, it was a shrine to Pan. Uh, but as, as of late, uh, when Jesus and the disciples were there, that, that shrine had taken a bit of a backseat because Herod the Great had actually built a temple to the Roman emperor in that city. And then more recently, Herod Philip had enlarged the city and renamed it to honor himself and to honor the current Caesar, Tiberius. This is where Jesus had taken the disciples. <laughs> it is a place strewn with reminders of the powers that be in their world. All of the collected power of their own land, all of the power of the Herods, all of the collected power that was out there in the known world, the Roman Empire, the power of the Caesars, the emperor, all of that stuff is there. I don't think it's a coincidence that they're there in that place and under the shadows of the shrines and the temples, Jesus asked them, who do people say 
that the Son of Man is. What he wants to know is what is the word on the street about me? And the truth is, church, that up until that point, exactly who Jesus is and exactly what Jesus is doing has, by his own design, been pretty hard to pin down. And I think that it's worth saying that it remains so. Long past that day for the disciples, as we will see next week. I mean, they make a great start that day. It is an incredible thing that happens that day. Do not get me wrong, but Jesus remains confounding and very confusing to them for a very long time. And maybe uh, who Jesus is and what Jesus is doing remains confusing for some of us sitting here, right, right here, right now, this morning, breathing this air in this moment. You know, like we talked about last week, maybe uh, Jesus has been calling you into something hard. He does that sometimes. You don't know why he's doing it. You have no idea what he might be trying to work in and through and around you. Or maybe uh, you hear him calling you to faith. He's calling you to faith in him for the first time. Or maybe uh, he's calling you back to faith after you've been out wandering around for a little while. You could be resisting it. Maybe you're confused about it. Maybe you just like to know what it means. Maybe you just like to know what it would mean if you said yes to this thing. How unsearchable are his judgments. <laughs> How inscrutable are his ways. Well, Jesus is patient. That's all I can say. And he is very insistent. And you can be certain that he's not doing nothing with you, whoever you are. You can be certain he's not doing nothing. So don't put these things out of your mind, this, this hard thing that he's called you to, this, this call that you keep hearing to faith. Don't put it out of your mind. Keep mulling over them. Keep wondering about them. Keep asking him questions about those things. Keep them in front of your mind because he means good for you. And that's the truth. And this is certainly where the disciples have been for probably a long time now. You can easily imagine that this is a moment that they have been waiting for. You know, like Jesus is finally getting to the point. You know, now, now we're actually getting somewhere with him. I mean, I think at least part of the reason some of those guys followed him in the first place is because they had some suspicions about who he might be and what he might be up to in the world. Clearly, this is not the first time they've thought about this or considered this. Simon Peter, for his part, obviously has been cogitating on it. But Jesus has asked a very specific question, and they have to answer that question first. So they tell him, this is who the people think you are. You're one of the wild ones. <laughs> That's what they think. You're Elijah, Jeremiah, one of the prophets. Now, whether, whether people thought that he was actually one of those prophets come back to them or whether the people were just using that as a metaphorical category to try to make sense out of this Jesus, it's not clear, but the idea is clear enough. You're, you're, you're like a prophet, Jesus. Some people even think he's John the Baptist who had only recently been executed. Herod, the puppet king, uh, the, the puppet king of Israel at that time, he was absolutely convinced that Jesus was John the Baptist come back from the dead. 
can read about that in Mark's gospel later this afternoon if you want. So they tell Jesus all that stuff. But I suspect that the whole crew there that day knows that there is a, a thinness to these answers. A thinness to these ideas. Of course he's one of the prophets. Anybody could see that. But he is more. And I would guess after they finish talking, the air around them is hanging heavy with uh, anticipation. And they're going to be pretty let down <laughs> if the conversation stops there. And Jesus meets them in that air of anticipation. And he asks them what he took them to that place, surrounded by those tokens of collected human power to ask. He finally asks it. Who do you say that I am? And Simon Peter steps up, Simon, who had once, once begged Jesus to get away from him. Please leave me. Simon, who had been lifted out of the sea. Simon, who Jesus had nicknamed Rock for reasons that up until that moment on that day had been shrouded in mystery. He says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. <laughs> now it is normal for preachers at this point to say something like Simon Peter and the rest of the guys didn't know the half of it. And I feel that I have to join them in saying that, at least to explain what it is that Simon has just confessed to Jesus. You're the Messiah. Jesus. That's what the Christ means. You're the Messiah, Jesus. You, you're not just a king like that, that fake clown king Herod who sits on the throne and licks Rome's boots. You're not like him. You are the king. Simon looks Jesus in the eye and just says it. I know who you are. You are the final son of David. You're the true king that we have waited for for so long. You are the true king whose rule will overthrow our enemies, whose rule will restore us to the people that we were meant to be, whose rule will cast the rich, restorative, healing power of God's justice and righteousness over the whole world. Simon knew all of this stuff. He had worked all of that stuff out. He knew that Jesus didn't just preach the good news. Even though he, he wasn't sure how all the pieces were going to fit together, Simon Peter knew that Jesus in some way was the good news. <laughs> did Simon know the half of what that meant? No way. But church, you got to listen to me. All that he did know that day, and all that he did confess to Jesus that day, it was absolutely true, and gloriously, and beautifully true. And he had the courage enough, and he had the fearlessness enough to say it to Jesus. And Jesus didn't hit him with a pretty nice, but you don't know the half of it. Jesus said, blessed are you, Simon Barjona. Blessed are you, happy are you, Simon, son of John. Happy are you with your God. You are so blessed, Simon. Flesh and blood did not reveal this to you. My Father, who is in heaven, revealed this to you. Can you imagine? Can you imagine for one moment what that must have felt like for Simon Peter to hear that from Jesus? 
all of this incredible regard that he had for Jesus, all of this allegiance and proper fear and love and respect and affection that he felt for Jesus, it's answered back in this incredible affirmation and commendation from him. Jesus says, I want you to know, Simon, just how blessed you are. You didn't figure this out all on your own. You didn't sort this out on your own. God himself has whispered to you, Simon. The creator of the world has spoken to you. You are so blessed, Simon. The cupcakes you made are great. (laughs) They're genuinely great. And you could make them because, Simon, the God of all things came to you. And he has kindly swept you up into what he's doing in this broken world. Simon, he's the one who made you courageous. And he's the one who made you fearless. And he's the one who made you impetuous. And he's the one who made you run hot like you do. And he's taken all of those things and all of who you are. And now look what he's done. He's made much of you. And he's going to keep making much of you for the life of the world. Broken, incomplete, sinful, vulnerable Simon. God, in his love and in his grace, has made much of you. You are Peter. The Cephas. The rock. And I will build my church on you. So finally, that nickname makes sense. (laughs) Not that Simon understands it. Jesus is telling him he's going to be this critical foundation. He's going to be this critical foundation for this new people that Jesus is building all around himself and constituting and gathering all around himself. He's saying, look, Peter, you're going to be this critical foundation for this people that are going to spread and grow through all time and in every place on this earth. You're going to be a critical foundation for this people for whom the power of death the gates of hell itself will be completely impotent. You're going to have a job. You're going to have a job. I'm going to give you the keys to the kingdom, Peter. Peter will have the authority and the responsibility to keep the church tied to her witness. Simon is going to have this job of persistently pointing the church to this Jesus that he has just professed as king. Simon's going to guide the church through the conflict that is necessary for her to be holy enough to point well. It's this huge, I mean, wildly important role for the life of the world. And that Peter plays this role for the post-resurrection church is simply a matter of historic fact. Read the book of Acts. You'll see that it's true. Jesus makes much of Simon Peter for the life of the world. In his love, he invites broken, incomplete, vulnerable, hot and cold Simon Peter into the story, and then he makes much of him. And church, this is always, always how the love and grace of Jesus works for people like us too. When we follow Jesus in faith and in repentance, he takes every part of who we are. 
all that he has made us to be. And he makes much of us. And you know how it is. You know we have stuff in us that could cut both ways. You know how it is. Right, relational abilities that we could use to selfishly manipulate as easily, as easily as we could use to build other people up and nourish them. Formidable smarts. Think about you guys sometimes. <laughs> Formidable smarts. Could be used for selfish ends just as easily as they could be used for the good of our neighbors. Strength of will, you know, the ability to lead. That could, that could be used to walk all over people to get ahead just as easily as it could be used to lead people into something better. You know how it is. <laughs> and when we follow Jesus in faith and repentance for the first time, maybe for some of us, or again for some of us, this is what we say. We say, we're going to stay with you, Jesus. We're staying with you. We're going to abide with you, and we're going to remain with you, and we're going to submit to you and let you slowly burn away all of those intentions and all of those inclinations that lead us away from loving you and loving our neighbors. And then we're going to let you wrap what's left of us after you're done into the story of you remaking the world again. through the atoning and remaking power of his death for our sins, through his resurrection, through his ascension, and by the power of the Holy Spirit, this is the truth. Jesus will make much of us. The steadfast love of Jesus makes much of people like us. He uses us for the life of the world. So stay with him. Remain with him. Let me pray for us. Father, thank you for the story of making much of a guy like Peter in whom we can see uh, ourselves reflected often really clearly. We thank you that this is what your love and your grace does, is that it, it changes people like us. It takes people like us, the way that you've made us, the way that you've designed us, the way that you've inclined us, and it makes all of those things holy and right and pure for the life of the world. Father, we ask that you would help us to see that and to believe it and that we would be a people who remain in that, who stay in that with Jesus, walking behind him, even when we don't understand the half of it. Father, we ask that you would do this so that we could grow up in our faith and that you would do this uh, so that through us you can love the broken world. And we pray this in Christ's name. Amen.